Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. An unprecedented moment in the modern history of college football. The Big Ten will not play this fall. The league just announced all fall sports are going to be postponed. That's football, men's and women's soccer, men's and women's cross country, field hockey, and women's volleyball. There is the possibility of competing in the spring, but that depends on tons of things falling the proper way in the world of COVID-19, which we as Americans are all living through. What's going on? It's 4.15 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday afternoon. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined by Chris Hummer. Chris, I guess this is an emergency episode of the College Football Daily. We did not want to wait until Wednesday morning because so much has happened right now. The Big Ten has postponed its season. The Pac-12 has postponed its season. They might try to play in the spring. We'll see. It feels unlikely. There's a lot of backlash to that idea. And of course, now we wait for the Big 12, which will have a president's meeting Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday evening, and we'll see if the Big 12 joins the ACC and the SEC on the purported side of the alley in which they want to play fall football, because if if the Big 12 doesn't do that, then we might not have fall football anywhere. So it's a, it's been a cheery day, hasn't it? Yeah, I think this is this is kind of the darkest day possible for college football. It really, honestly, it sucks. And I'm just like texting with coaches off and on kind of as all this is happening and the sentiment is all pretty much the same. This is awful. Like I'm hurting right now and nobody wanted this. Nobody in the big 10, nobody in the PAC 12 from a coaching and player perspective wanted this to happen. And what we're on the precipice of is college football potentially falling off a cliff in 2020. And I don't mean to be negative, but when you have two of the five autonomy conferences cancel within an hour of each other, that's really the only direction your mind can travel. Um, As you said, the Big 12 is kind of holding all the cards right now. And that's crazy to think about, given how much attention the Big 12 got only a few years ago for being the little brother of all the um, Power Five conferences. But right now, with the ACC and SEC pretty intent on playing, and the Pac-12 and the Big 10 canceled, the Big 12 is kind of straddling the fence. And they're kind of the person, they're the league that's going to make all these decisions because... If the Big 12 bows out and it's just the ACC and the SEC moving forward becomes very difficult from a public perception standpoint. So in a lot of ways, the Big 12 and the Big 12 presidents, which are meeting later today, are going to determine the course of the college football season. Yeah, and again, we're recording on Tuesday afternoon. They will meet Tuesday. Maybe we'll get word from them. The Big 12 is the swing state. And you're right. Like Maybe we should take a second to, to pour one out. I don't know. We have our blinders on, right? Like we we cover the news, and it, there's been so much of it this off season. I remember jumping on May in May, talking about, "Hey, we got word the NCAA is now permitted on campus workouts." I remember jumping on when the Big Ten went to conference only. I remember jumping on 
to talk about the new ACC schedule and, and talking testing with Brandon Marcello. And I think all of that has in a way numbed me to the idea that there might not be college football this fall. I, I think I haven't even given myself the chance to process it because for everyone listening out there, like it's hurting them. It's hurting you all on a, on a, on a personal level. Like this is, this is what you look forward to all summer long. College football is, is part of your life. It might be, you know, the favorite thing you got going on and we're the same way. Like this is, this, this is horrible. And uh, of course it perfects, affects us professionally and it affects our livelihood perhaps. And I, I, I don't think I've had a moment yet to sit back and think about what this really, what this really means or how bad this really is or what it even means like for, for the fate of college football, you know, can college football ever recover and that kind of stuff. And we're just trying to trudge, trudge forward and cover the breaking news as, as best we can. And I think there is some sadness though, Chris, like I, I was kind of, I went through Tuesday morning and Tuesday afternoon to hoping that the big 10 would at least delay making a decision and, and kick, keep kicking the can. And Kevin Warren, the commissioner just ended up saying like, we can't, we can't do that. And the, the health and mental health as well when welfare of our student athletes is the most important thing to me. And there are just parts of, of this coronavirus and playing through it and the, the, the issues it can have on the heart unknown or not that, that just were, were, you know, they couldn't get past it. Neither could the PAC 12. Yeah. COVID 19s not going away. I think if we've learned anything the last four months as college football's, scrambled for a way to make this season happen is we're going to have to live with this virus, just like the country's having to live with this virus. And in a lot of ways, what's happened is a little out of control of the college football leagues. Like I think everyone in March, when we were talking with optimism about the college football season was expecting the country to kind of virus under control to the point where testing capabilities and everything else could handle the workload. But we are not there. Uh, unfortunately, um, for whatever reason you want to cite, the virus has only kind of ballooned and spiraled out of control in this country. And that has certainly had an effect on college football. But when you just talk about the day-to-day ability for college football to be played, I think a couple of things ultimately factored into the decision to cancel. One is some of the kind of heart-related issues that are popping up amid players who have had COVID-19. I saw a report from CBS Today that I think cited 15 players thus far have had heart-related issues pop up after positive cases. And even though that 15 number is a very small percentage of the players that have tested positive, that is still a huge issue for college athletics when you're talking about 18 to 22-year-old people um, dealing with heart conditions that could affect them well into their future. So that scares the crap out of um, university presidents over concerns about liability. There's also the fact that in a lot of places, and this is more about the lower kind of conferences, um, the non-autonomy leagues, testing just isn't cheap enough and readily available enough to like make this work. It's very expensive and upward, like $50 to $100 per test, upwards of $100,000 a week for schools to meet the NCAA mandated two tests a week and three days before game day, kind of that protocol. So that factors in as well. And then you just have to remember that in a lot of ways at a time where college football seems to be on the precipice of 
so much change that college commissioners and the NCAA are very reluctant to bend on their model. And with things like COVID waivers or bubbles, all of that would have required these leagues and conferences to admit a pretty simple fact that their players are employees and that would threaten the whole system itself. And I, I realize I'm going pretty big picture here, but all of that, all of that mattered in terms of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceling. And it's if the other leagues follow suit, it's going to certainly factor in that consideration as well. You hit on all of it. The and the Pac-12, the medical recommendations they released their documents, and they talked about myocarditis, the the heart related issue. They talked about community spread in their in their college areas and and they talked about the fact that they would like to see testing be done on a daily basis almost with 24-hour turnaround results and that just can't be done now so in anyway we know that the big 10 and the pac-12 are not going to play this fall we'll see going forward and of course we'll cover it on the podcast what that means on a conference by conference level what does Justin Fields do? Maybe by Wednesday morning, he'll have announced that you know he's he's packing it up and going pro. Do any players try to transfer? Whatever, whatever. But in the next 24, 48, 72 hours, there is still a little bit of hope for college football season to happen. And that's just because the SEC and the ACC have expressed desire to play this fall. Its coaches have said so. Obviously, its players have said so. But Further, you know, Greg Sankey has has gone out there and said, "We we we can do this." Um, the ACC, one of its top medical doctors, said that he feels good about football happening this fall, and you know that he might be able to to give some support in the, into that direction. So there's some some thought that those two conferences are going to try to do this. But it does seem clear to me that they need the Big 12 because, and you mentioned it, the perception of having three-fifths is a lot different than playing football with two-fifths of the Power 5 conferences. And to stage a season with just 30 teams, you know, the SEC and the ACC, while 100 other teams sit at home, I don't see it happening. I think you need three Power 5 conferences. Yeah, I completely agree. And I guess I guess it would be 29 with Notre Dame. But the just the perception of that and the PR hit those leagues are going to take and make no mistake, they are going to get pummeled, pummeled by the media, by I don't know about fans. I think fans in those two conferences probably want to play, but even potentially politics, they would pummel them if yeah. they don't play because the, the fans right now are pummeling the, the Big Ten. Not not the Pac-12, but the big. Which is which is I think it's I think it's interesting and like I think a lot of that came from the Big Ten players speaking so vocally that they want to play and coaches do. Well, too. I I think it it came from the Big Ten's mismanagement that, maybe of this that's too. Certainly true. And a, their trial balloon on Saturday or whatever you want to call these leaks. Well, that doesn't. Help. It's also just I, I think I think if you're the if you're the SEC the ACC or the Big Twelve. And you're playing, you plan on doing that. I think right now is the time to do it. I think right now is the time to, to make that announcement. I think you are going to benefit from a ton of public support to to play a season. I mean, you you turn on ES and I, and I know your your counter is going to be they're going to get you know torched if they do it now. While literally hours earlier, the Big Ten saying we're not doing it, but you turn on ESPN, 
you listen to people like us and there's an air of sadness. There's frustration. Kirk Herbstreet's not happy. Reese Davis isn't happy. David Pollock, Desmond Howard, whatever. I think, I think right now you have a chance to capitalize on some positive PR of playing rather than isolating yourself in a news cycle in a week. I don't know. That's just me thinking aloud and thinking crazily. But I, PR is such a big aspect of this that you kind of do have to think about how to time yeah, it. Yeah, but the thing is with that, and I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. I'm actually, I don't think the Big 12 should announce today. I think the Big 10 and the Pac-12 could have benefited from another week or two of kind of examining how this is going to look. And I think they might come to regret that. Um, but in terms of terms of public perception, like it doesn't matter how much PR you get in August for having your season. Let's say if we get to October, they play three games and then four or five teams are unable to play because of massive COVID outbreaks, uh, kind of like the Miami Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals have made major league baseball, the laughing stock of sports right now. Like if that happens, that is much worse than kind of taking a small PR hit now in terms of not playing and, Anybody that decides to cancel from here on out is going to have their blow cushioned by the Pac-12 and the Big Ten going first. Like that, they're gonna. There's just not going to be as much of a pinata to swing at. Like it's already, all the insults have already gone out there. So from that perspective, PR, I just think is. I think you risk more by playing in a lot of ways. But I guess the benefits there are pretty significant too. I. It's just for now. I think there's so much differing information in terms of how the virus affects athletes. I think within the last 24 hours, we've seen issues of the heart condition scare the crap out of the Big Ten and the Pac-10 or in the Pac-12. And some of that information has been released for the Pac-12, which is great. But we've also had the ACC doctor say it's okay to play. Um, an Illinois professor who kind of caused a national stir a couple months ago by saying three to seven college football players were going to die revised his calculations today to say he expected he said it was very unlikely that any college football player would die this season from covid related illnesses um we have a story about that on 24 7 sports if you're interested in checking it out and some of these answers don't line up and it it just to me it's wild that the pac 12 and the big 10 medical officials have such differing answers from the ACC. These are all doctors. You would think they'd be the same. And I'm, I would be really interested to know from either conference, like what the differentiating factor is in that aspect. Well, I guess if we learn, if we've learned anything over the last five months, it's that doctors are not going to agree on things. Well, unquestionably, and they never, they never do, but you would think on an issue like this, where they're looking at the same research, there would at least be a shared kind of idea of how to proceed. Now it looks like we're getting two very different answers. Yeah. So if the SEC and the ACC want to play or don't want to make a decision, you know, with campus filling up soon with students, I think I think it would behoove them to at least wait. I think it's got to be really frustrating for these college football programs, coaches, players who have put together will look to be really effective for the most part systems of contact tracing, of testing, of preventative measures. We keep seeing stories in the last few days of, you know, Clemson doesn't have a COVID positive since July. Texas doesn't have a COVID positive since July. Michigan, OU, zero, zero, all this stuff. And it's, I think that that model deserves a chance to see how it works when the college campuses fill back up with 
30,000 undergrads. But then, of course, is that even what this argument's about? No, Trey, the argument's about liability and 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 college universities accepting that, or, or you know, I keep saying college universities, uh, universities accepting that they are going to lose their butt one for one year with a loss of TV revenue, but hopefully not get sued out the wazoo in 20 years to the point where they have to shutter their doors. Yeah, arguments of health and safety kind of crack me up right now. Because when you think about it, and these school, these conferences are all like kind of floating out there, the idea of spring football, they're pushing forward with health and safety, and they're going to ask these student athletes to play two seasons, essentially in 12 months, which is going to be very unsafe for a lot of guys. It's a lot of wear and tear on young bodies, especially when you consider these guys haven't really played a full game in a year and a half. Like they are going to be very out of game shape and they're going to be asked to play that much football in such a condensed time. So the idea of health and safety kind of cracks me up. It really does in my mind, simply just come down to liability, as you said. Which is interesting because we have spent the last five months talking about how we're going to have a college football season and liability really has not been at the forefront of that for with the exception of the last week. Yeah, it's interesting. The conversation was how much they could lose. Mm -hmm. And I think when the heart issues have popped up and we have really only started to find out about that in the last couple of weeks, especially when the Indiana offensive lineman, his mom posted that plea on Facebook. And I think that's just kind of got the attention of schools and what you stand to lose, not only from a monetary standpoint, but just from a perception and from a PR standpoint to be a school that endangered a student's lives for years on end after they finished playing college football, I think it's probably way worse than losing 60 to $100 million in a single season. And that's why I think the reasoning behind that is switched a little bit, even though that 60 to $100 million number sounds really scary. I just think when you risk putting a student at, when you put a student athlete's long-term health at risk, I think that's even worse. Think of what happened at Maryland last year when they had a player die on the field. I die in fall camp. It was just like hit after hit for that program. And I, it's hard to recover from that. Yeah. They totally, when Jordan McNair died, Maryland totally gutted, obviously it's coaching staff, but you know, the, um, the power brokers too, I believe they got a new president. So it's, and that stuff, you know, happens every few years too. Uh, but in this climate, I understand that not being an acceptable risk, you know, it's just, uh, it's there's no way to win here, but we're going to see, we're going to see what the, what the SEC and the ACC want to do. But more importantly, we're going to see what the big 12 wants to do. And for you and me, that's pretty interesting because we've been, I mean, we went to, we both went to the same school and it's a big 12 school and it's, it's you know, Texas. And even though it's an important one, the big 12 has not always had the attention of most anybody across the country. And now it will. Yeah. Before we go, Trey, and I'm sure you're about to sign us out, what's one? What's the thing you're going to miss the most about the Big Ten and the Pac-12 this year? Oh, man. I I am really upset that Justin Fields is a college football player that we might have only gotten one year out of. And I know he you know, had a, reg, or a freshman season at Georgia, but this is a guy who was one of the top five quarterback recruits ever, top ten quarterback recruits ever. Well, he was, I saw him at the opening finals in the summer of 2017 
for the recruiting class of 2018. And he was awesome. He was the best quarterback there. And that was a group that included Trevor Lawrence. I actually saw Justin Fields in person at the Fiesta Bowl this year against Trevor Lawrence. And it makes me sad that that could have been his last ever game. I think he was going to have a monster season. I'm excited to see what he does in the NFL. But he's a guy who I spent the better part of a year getting jacked up about to play college football and see what he would do at Georgia. And it just bums me out. And there's, you know, uh, for the Pac-12, um, Oregon, I was excited to see that defense this year. But I'm just going to, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss waking up with the Big Ten and, and falling asleep with the Pac-12 while I edit college football overtime for you. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, Justin Fields is a one is somebody really high on that list, man. It's too bad. Uh, I was really bummed out when we only got one season from Rondell Moore when he opted out. But I think Justin Fields is even worse. He's just one of those spectacular talents. And I, I really believe in my whole heart, Ohio State just lost a Heisman season from Justin Fields. Like, I think he would have been holding the stiff arm trophy at the end of the year. And I, I would say it's very, 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 very unlikely he would play in the spring uh, talking to people around him. As far as the Pac-12 goes, honestly, and this sounds stupid, but I was really looking forward to seeing how the hell Clay Heldon was going to navigate this season. USC is going to have one of the most exciting offenses in the country with Keaton Slovis throwing to a really deep set of receivers. Like a guy like Brew McCoy coming back after a mysterious illness would have been fun to follow. I love Pac-12 after dark, watching those games until 2 a.m. And it's it really is a shame that we won't get to see USC try to uh, kind of keep Clay Hilton from the brink again this year. It's uh, been one of the most fascinating stories in college football. You know what, real quick before we go, you mentioned USC. Last year was the year of the freshman quarterback. Keaton Slovis, Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. He won't be on the field this fall. Sam Hallett, North Carolina. We'll see. There were a few other guys, Auburn's Bo Nix. Like, I, I believe that Slovis and Daniels and Hal as well are three and out type players. And if you were USC or if you were Arizona State, you were pumped up about what three years would look like with those quarterbacks. And I can even I can even stretch this to be, you know, Oregon getting three years of Kayvon Thibodeau, who could be a top five pick as well, or the last year of Panay Sewell. And you just, you know, you, you just shortened your title window by 33%. And that's just going to be a shame um, for those Pac-12 schools out there who who struck gold with their quarterback ads in the 2019 class. Oh, no doubt. It's like it's just program changers in general. Like I mentioned Rondale Moore earlier, like Rondale Moore looked like a guy who could lift Purdue to another level in the Big Ten, like that Ohio State game where he just railroaded them basically by himself. And now he's gone in like an instant. And Jeff Brown got one season from him, like at the program. And you you nailed it with guys like Kayvon Timoteau, Panay Sewell. Keaton Slovis, Jaden Daniels, like all of those guys are players that they're hoping to build their program around. And it's just a shame for all of those coaches who worked really hard to land some of these guys, especially like in the case of like a Jaden Daniels to get him to Arizona State. That's a guy who could elevate your program for a decade following that. And now that window has shrunk even further. And it's, it really is a shame. A lot of shortened windows. Purdue, Rondale Moore, George Karlaftis, David Bell, all of those guys are phenoms as freshmen in various years. And, you know, at a worst case scenario, you'd say they would have a total of nine years combined on campus if each of them was three and out. And now you've got each of them a total probably playing five seasons. So five of nine, you're going to see a lot of teams who, yeah, just, you know, are going to have a lot of what ifs and, and a lot of what could have been's. But we'll, we'll tackle all that. We've got, oh man, I guess we've got our off season just got a little longer. But, We'll see. Fingers crossed for some good news out of the Big 12 on Tuesday evening. Chris Hummer, thank you so much for joining us. 
Uh, we really appreciate it. Everybody, we will talk to you on Wednesday if events warrant it. If not, we'll talk to you on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.